I don't know if you've ever had the occasion of being held to a passage by the Spirit of God. I had planned to move on in Matthew uh, with the arrival of Jesus, and we may, we may get there this morning, we may not, but I can't get my mind off the passages from last week, because I want to make sure before we go on that we get each text of Scripture. I think sometimes we are so... Uh, production-minded to move verse by verse that we just move off of something God's still speaking, at least to me, about. And it's the idea of this axe laid to the root of the tree. It's the idea of the willowing fork and the grain and the agricultural example that John the Baptist gave us about the arrival of the ministry of Jesus Christ. I was fascinated uh, when I looked at the account in Luke as he describes the axe and the willowing. It said after those mentions in Luke's passage that it said that John the Baptist with many other exhortations spoke good news to the people. John's not seen in too many light of a preacher of good news. Uh, he is kind of seen as an Old Testament prophet of doom and of judgment. If you read the commentators on these verses, the idea here is the judgment of God, and, and there is some of that there in the passage. So I want us to look back to chapter 3 of Matthew, and I want us to look down at verse 10. In answer to the scribes and Pharisees that came to his bap baptism, strong guy put that in there, he mentions that the axe is laid to the root. This is an unusual place for an axe to be laid. Usually if you were to chop down a tree, you would go after the stump or the trunk of the tree. Not the root. Notice it doesn't say the roots, plural. It's the root. Now anybody who knows anything about agriculture and plants and trees knows that there is one tap root. You can sever roots if you don't sever too many and the tree will survive. But not that tap root. That's down in the middle of the tree and it's down below the soil. But notice that's where John says, the axe has been laid. Now, he's speaking symbolically, so I want you to get the symbolism of what's going on and not miss it. The taproot is the source of the tree. It's what's responsible for the life in the tree. This tree was not going to be cut down at the taproot because it wasn't alive and growing. The problem was fruitlessness, that ultimately the tree was not fulfilling its God-given purpose. It's an apple tree, you want apples. I don't care how well the branches look and how good the trees, the leaves look and how beautiful it is and how growing it is, if it's not giving us apples, it's not fulfilling its purpose. What is this? 
This is the judgment of God on the sin of mankind. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. The axe that was laid to the very taproot, if, if you might think, could be Adam himself when he sins. Cutting off the very source and life of God to him, the man. We were created, or at least we were brought out of Adam with a cut taproot, with a severed life source. And we look alive for a while. But there's death within us. There's hollowness in us. We watched Tombstone again last. Landon and I watched Tombstone. The girls went to the bedroom frustrated that we wouldn't turn the channel. But every young boy ought to see Tombstone a number of times. Amen. And as Doc Holliday tried to explain to Wyatt Earp why Johnny Ringo kills like he kills. Doc Holliday said this, that there's a hole in Johnny Ringo. There's an emptiness that no amount of killing will fill. He wants revenge. Wyatt Earp said, what does he want revenge for? And Doc Holliday's great statement, he wants revenge for being born. That's all of us. We're all Johnny Ringo's. To one degree or another. We're empty, we're hollow. There's a darkness within us. If you don't believe it, read your books. Read the, watch the movies. All of drama, all of literature. It's all about fighting something. Someone out there that's dark. The darkness is within. And we know it. We know the judgment of God on humanity. We just know it. I bought a, uh, a barn. They came and delivered it on the property two months ago. It cost me about $3,000. It was an average. It's a good barn. And when I purchased it, I put half down. $1,500 down on the card. I don't pay for anything completely until I got it in possession. So they delivered the barn, and I went back to the storage place, and I gave her my credit card. She rung it up for the other $1,500. That was a month and a half ago. I have not seen that 1500 on my credit card statement. Karen says, you need to go back down there. I said, I will. <laughs> Just another week. I'm sure they'll get me in another week. <laughs> now that I've told you that, I'm going next week. And I justified it to her. I said, I don't want to go down there, you know. And, and then they charge me twice and get me all messed up. Truth is, I don't want them to take $1,500 from me. We know we owe God a debt. We know in the depths of our... The lost man knows that. He won't admit it, but we're, there's an emptiness within us. There's a numbness. One more story and we'll move on. I've got... I, for you medical people out there, I've got something going on from here to here. I'm telling you, when I kneel down and I pull it the right way, I flip over on my back and scream. I can run my fingers down and there's numbness over that area. Some of you are dying to tell me what it is. Come see me after the service, please. <laughs> it's numb, man. I don't even feel my hand hardly. There's a numbness in the human heart. And it's because the tap root of life has been severed by God. And thank God he's done that. Because we reach out for true life. 
That's what it is. This is the good news That's, that, God, that John is declaring sin. How can sin be bad news or good news? Because if you die in that sin, we spend an eternity separated from a loving God who paid the ultimate price to conquer that sin and put it away. Amen. All right, look at the second part of the story. Notice down at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but it's a contrasting conjunction. My baptism in water will do nothing for you. Your promise of repentance will do nothing for you. You need something more, John says, than my preaching. My preaching will get you frustrated. Have you ever tried to please God? Have you ever tried to be a good Christian? Have you ever worked at being sweet? Might have worked for a little while, but you know down deep it ain't going to work forever, man. You'll run out. This is what John said you need. Look at the passage. But there's somebody coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Notice, and fire. He will baptize you with the Spirit of God and fire. Well, what's the fire? Let's see what the fire is. Move on. Take a look at verse 12. His willowing shovel is in his hand, his willowing fork, and he will clear his threshing floor. What is a, a thresh? A, a, notice behind me. This is a threshing floor. It is where you threw the grain. It was round, it was on stone, it was out in the country. Or it was inside on a wooden floor. The grain was poured out there, and the grain was inside a husk, a shell, if you would. A shell, hard. As this grain was scattered out on this threshing floor, oxen were, were sent in and marched around, crushing the grain, crushing the grain, crushing it down, releasing the edible part from the hard husk that was outside. That's a threshing floor. Now, what is this grain? It is the purpose that you've been created. It is food for other people. It is blessing to other people. The problem with the tree that didn't have any fruit on it, the tree was all about itself and the tree did not give out. The fruit, again, is not for the tree. It's for those who come around and eat from it. We were created by God to be in vital union with our creator. And in doing that, our life was not centered on our tree. It was centered on him. And being centered on him, fruit for other people would nourish and feed them. The godly Christ-likeness that, that comes out of your life wherever you are when you're focused on him is food and drink for people all around you. It is. 
That grain was crushed down in order to make flour, to make bread for people to eat. But that outer shell that needed to be stomped on and crushed out is self and sin within us all. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the work of the cross. Crushing self. Crushing sin. Releasing us to be what God has always created us to be. Bread and food and wine for others to eat and drink and enjoy. Notice what happens next. Look at verse 12. It says, his willowing shovel, his, his rake is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the bar. Now, let's just stop and think about that. How beautiful is that? I like barns. In fact, my folks often ask me, you know, do you think you live in a barn? And I always said, I wish I did. We had a lot of fun in barns, man. We would hide and seek. We would get in tunnels under the hay. We would jump off huge beams 20 feet down into a pile of soft hay. My brother often says, Mike, he said, we could have died in that barn getting trapped under those bales of hay and suffocated. We could have died a dozen ways, but a barn's a good deal. Aren't you glad he gathered you into his barn? The barn is the dwelling place of God. You're in the barn right now. In fact, I, I'm thinking about changing the name of the church to the barn. How cool would that be? <laughs> hey, where do you go to church? I go to the barn. That's where I go. I probably won't do it, but how much fun is that? I mean, we got a barn floor going on. We're going to, you know, put pitchforks on the side of the wall. The barn is the family of God. The barn is the church of Jesus Christ. The barn is where God is, and we are where he is, and we are gathered into the barn. Are you gathered into the barn? Do you know him as your Savior? It's nice in the barn. Notice, his willowing shovel is in his hand. He will clear his threshing, gather in the barn. Notice the chaff. Notice the chaff. He will burn it with fire that never goes out. Behind me is the willowing fork. What they did was grab that fork in there and throw it up in the air. It, was a, it had to be a windy day. It's called wind willowing. And that wind would take that light shaft, that broken stuff from that outsource, and blow it away. So when that grain landed with the weight of it, it was only grain. I, I'm telling you, pick up commentaries, and you will see in this, most of them are going to say, this is the judgment of God on the lost. He'll bring his, his grain into the barn, and those who are lost are the shaft. He'll blow them away and burn them with fire. No, 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 no. When the God wants to show an illustration of the lost and the saved, he uses wheat and tares, not wheat and chaff. Because the shaft was once a part of the wheat. It can't be the lost. It's you and I. It's our sin. It's our self. It's our selfishness and self-centeredness. It's our flesh. 
that God at the cross, when he died, we died with him. And in doing so, crushed that grain, crushed that self, crushed sin, crushed flesh. And as the circumstances of life and the winds blow, and he throws us up to, to mayhem, the Spirit of God does the work that took place under the ox's feet and blows away self and sin. Do you see that? When can you feel self and flesh? When somebody crosses you, right? There's an old fellow who works at Publix in Muley. I, you know, he's grouchy. He's grouchy. And I think he worked in one section. They moved him to stock and shelves. Well, Karen needed to find something in the tea section. And so I come around the corner. She's on her knees rearranging the teas, trying to find the decaf, whatever. She's got them all over, right? Trying to find it. It's got to be in the back here somewhere. Well, I see the old guy at the end of the aisle just, just staring at Karen. Well, I thought that was real funny. I thought that was funny. It tickled me the whole scene, you know, and I told her. I was telling Whitney about it. She said, oh, Daddy, he jumped me one time. <laughs> now I don't think it's funny anymore. <laughs> you mess with Karen, that's one thing. You mess with Whitney, that's a whole other thing. No, now you've messed with both of my women, and I'm ready to, so, you know, I, 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 I'm fighting off the urge to bait the old guy at the store. You know, go ask him for something, and I'm not going to do that. But that's what causes flesh and sin to come up, doesn't it? When folks cross us the wrong way. That's the wind, man. That's God throwing us up to situations. The victory is seeing the Spirit of God by the work of the cross blowing that shaft away. Blowing it away. Who knows? Maybe the old fellow lost his wife last year. Who knows? See? Who knows? Let's go on to the passage. Jesus shows up, verse 13. We'll just, we'll just read this passage and be done. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Jesus is almost 30 years old at this point. He has lived 30 years in obscurity. He has lived 30 years in the backwaters of Nazareth up in Galilee. He has, he has lived for 30 years with scandal written all over him and his family. Yeah. Joseph heard it. Mary heard it. Jesus heard it. The brothers and sisters heard it. Because people start doing this, they rarely stop. He has lived in this small town waiting, and here he is. Appearing on the sea of all places at John's baptism. Why? Why? John's baptism was about repentance. Repentance is about sin. It's one thing for Jesus to come and just be a part of what's going on. And in listening to the message, he wanted to go down in the water and be baptized. He had no sin. When John saw him, he knew it in a minute. 
By the way, this is probably not the first time John the Baptist has seen Jesus. You know they were second cousins. You know they were six months apart. Every year Jesus came down to the temple because that's what you did. You came down at 12 years old he was there. You don't think Mary visited Elizabeth? You don't think these boys played together? Interesting, isn't it? And John looks up at Jesus and he says this. John tried to stop him. I need to be baptized by you. You come to me. That doesn't make sense. So why did he come? Come next week, I'll tell you. (laughs) It's a befuddling thing. Theologians have scratched their heads over this one. Why would he come and be baptized if it's for sin? He didn't sin. There's two reasons. There's two deep biblical reasons. It's incredible. I'm going to tell you, when I was studying this and looking over the Old Testament passages of why he did what he did, tears came to my eyes when I realized what he was doing at this very moment. Next week. Yeah, yeah. Judgment does not come to mankind because of man's sin. It comes because he refuses to, fe- to receive life. Amen. That's a shocker, isn't it? God does judge sin. But the fire that you see of the trees that are going to be thrown in, that's the judgment of God. And the fire that blows the chaff away, that's the judgment of God. And it's all the judgment of God that was embarked upon on the cross of Jesus Christ. Mankind either faces the judgment of of God apart from the cross, or you and I face the judgment of God in the cross. In the cross, we go free, forgiven, cleansed, forever eternally united with Him. But if we refuse life, if we refuse that cross... That's why the judgment comes. When Jesus died, he put away the sins of the world. He put away the sin of the lost man. Is the lost man saved and going to heaven? No. But the lost man is going to hell because he rejects the payment of Christ. Jesus said, here in his judgment, that they believe not on me. That's it. All your lost friends, their sins have been put away with in the cross. The judgment they will receive at the great white throne and the eternal punishment in hell is a result of rejecting the payment. Is God not justified by giving his son for us on the cross to die on a cross to pay for our sins and for man in the depth of his sin to say, no, I don't want that. There is no more answer to sin apart from Jesus Christ. And that sin must be paid for. Absolutely must. Number two, the hard shell of self is crushed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see yourself, Christian, as a piece of grain that has been husked out of the husk? Broken out of 
that hard shell. You say, man, I feel that hard shell all the time. I feel numbness a lot of times. Man, I just feel it's a lie. Do you know that? It's a lie. It's a lie that self is still dominating you. It's not. It absolutely is not. And lastly, the fire of the judgment of the cross was on sin and self. Hey, that's some good news, you know. That was, that's some good news. It's really good news. This is, this is kind of like what we look like in the garden before we sin. And Adam sinned. And now mankind looks like this. I need to know I look like that. See, I need to know I'm crooked. I need to know I'm empty and hollow. I need to face the fact there's a problem, and it's not with you guys, it's with me guys.